Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I'm so happy to have our guest today. We're so honored to have Joy here. And she said, I really don't want to do this. She ran away from me for a really long time. And finally, she decided, you know what? I think God is telling me to tell my story. I'm compelled to do it. Even though you might not want to, you are compelled. So Joy, thank you for being here. No problem. Thank you. What I love about your story is, well, number one, you're a very open and honest person about struggling um, and this road to adoption. And I would say that through infertility, adoption actually chose you. Yes, We're going to talk a lot about infertility. You taught me a lot in our pre-interview about what women go through, you know, if they want to carry their own baby before even adoption exists. Some people choose adoption right off the bat, but some people it's not like that. And that's kind of your story. So let's talk about infertility. Okay. Um, So when we first started trying to get pregnant, um, of course, you know, the doctor's like, well, do this. They give you all these different things to do, these little prescription pills and nothing was working. Um, Finally, they referred us to an infertility specialist and he did a little more testing where they were able to see that I had scar tissue. Um, Basically, when I was four years old, I had a hernia, which caused scar tissue. Okay. And the scar tissue pretty much damaged my tube. So instead of a healthy tube, which is more curved, mine was more like a rubber band and scrunched up. Okay. So this was in Chicago in 2006 is when you yes, started? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. So you start the process and they're telling you why you're having a hard time. What are those pills like? So the first pills they give you, they're like little small, they're, they're almost like birth control, they're little okay. small pills. And they give you, and it's supposed to help you um, ovulate. Okay. Do they um, make you crazy? No. I mean, it's it's okay. nothing really at all. And But I wasn't having a problem ovulating. But this, um, those pills are given to you by your OBGYN. So that person doesn't really know what to do. They first give you to make sure you're ovulating, to make sure all that's normal. And then um, when that doesn't work is when they usually refer you to an infertility specialist so that they can do a more in-depth testing to see, you know, what's going on, why are you ovulating, if you're ovulating, why it isn't working and that kind of stuff. Okay, so did you get pregnant on those pills? No. Okay, so now you're going to go to the doctor. Yeah, so we went to the infertility doctor. Um, We found out that my tubes were scrunched up. So the first thing he did was try to clean the scar tissue from around it, Um, which is helpful in a sense because it takes the, the... tube and it cleans everything around it so that it can move more freely. However, if your body is um, one like mine who creates a lot of scar tissue, it only lasts for a little while. So if you take a little scar tissue away, it's going to multiply and come back even worse, which is what happened. Okay. So at this point, um, were you, was that a surgery? Yes. Okay. It's, uh, I think it's called laparoscopy. Okay, so it's a laser. Yeah, it's a laser. It's an outpatient procedure. Um, They go in through your belly button. They do it. It's about 45 minutes to an hour, I think. Um, And then they went in, did that. And then he's like, okay, we'll give you a couple days to heal, and then we'll see what happens. Um, Well, in that couple of days to heal, I actually got pregnant on my own. And so, and I didn't know it. 
Um, so by the time um, I went back to him, he's like, okay, well, how are you feeling? Do you want to start the in vitro? And I had just found out from my doctor that I was actually pregnant. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I wow. guess your job is done. Thanks. Right. Um, and so I went in, I found out I was pregnant, and the next uh, week I started bleeding. Um, and then when I started bleeding, um, I went back to the doctor. And at the time, my doctor was out, so I had another doctor. And his procedure, his, the way he wanted to treat it was to have me take shots of methotrexate, which is what they give cancer patients. It's a huge, long, thick needle um, in your backside. And hoping that the, the baby will dissolve on its own. And you miscarry which did not happen. Um, and so my doctor, who had been out of the country, came back and she said, no, let's, you know, just go ahead and, you know, be done with it. Um, so we went in, she went in and she took it out and found out that it was stuck in that tube. Okay, so the bleeding let them know that you had become pregnant, but you were There missing. was an issue. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, when she went in and saw that it was in the tube, she immediately said, you know, I, you're going to lose this tube because... Had the first doctor, when he saw that there was an issue, just taken it out and not tried to dissolve the embryo on its own, then I probably could have saved my tube. But since he did not, at that time, it had gotten bigger. Okay, so because now it was still growing. Another surgery. Yeah, so another surgery. So she went in. That tube was completely damaged. She had to take it out. And I think that was the first time, I mean, you, you try, because we got married in 2004, it's 2006, you know, you've been trying all these different things, waiting, and you realize, okay, I'm pregnant, but now you have to take the baby. And I, I remember waking up from the surgery saying, well, where is it? Can I see it? And she was like, um, no. And I'm like, well, what happens now? Because to me, there was a life inside of me, you know, I heard the heartbeat and everything, although I knew... Um, from listening to the heartbeat, there was something wrong. Um, I knew that there was a baby inside me, and now it's gone. Um, so the hospital I was in was great. They actually had um, nurses who came in and prayed with me, um, who um, referred me to all their different, you know, meetings that they had for miscarriages. And um, by that time, she told me that um, she was going to send me back to Shelly doctor um, because now one tube is missing. And she didn't want to use the time to try to figure out um, what else she could do. She would rather me go right back to him. And she actually referred us to in vitro right away. But um, at the time, I didn't want to do it. How were you doing emotionally? I was a wreck. It, it, was, it, it was pretty hard. I, I had no idea how much harder it was going to get. Um, but it was something that I didn't realize I wanted so badly. And then to have it and have it be taken away so quickly, I, I didn't even have time to adjust to being pregnant um, before I was told you're not. Um, and I think it didn't help that the first doctor was like, okay, well, let's just give you this medicine. And, you know, he, he just didn't have a very good bedside manner. Um, so I think that um, I was pretty much an emotional wreck. I cried all the time. I used to like to sit in my closet and cry because I didn't want my husband to be bothered by what I was going, you know, going through. I didn't feel like he understood and he can help. So I would sit in my closet pretty much and cry. What was your husband like at that time when he got the news? Um, he didn't show a lot of emotion at first um, because I think I immediately burst into tears. 
Um, but once I looked away, I saw him with his head down, which made me cry even more. Um, he, even to this day, he hasn't really discussed. He just said, you know, he was hurt. But I think because it's still something that I even still deal with today, he is very quiet about his feelings and his emotions because he is very much um, the person who tries to comfort me because he was the, the one who was there through each and every miscarriage um, and emotional turmoil. So he was the one who's always been there to try to be the strong person for me. So at what point did you decide to try again? So when we went back to the fertility doctor, he said, um, well, you know what? You still have one good tube. You can do in vitro or you can try it again yourself. And I felt like, well, I get pregnant on my own the first time. Why do I need to do in vitro? Let's do it you know, on my own. Um, so we did artificial insemination. Um, we did the artificial insemination, and it worked. And, again, I was pregnant. And so I'm like, great. You know, in vitro is expensive. It's a bunch of hormonal stuff. I don't want to do it anyway. So we did this. I'm pregnant. Great. Again, not even a week later, I was bleeding, went back to the doctor and found out that, yes, again, it was in my tube. And each time I had these ectopic pregnancies, I... If, if it hadn't been for the bleeding, the spotting, I would have never known. Most people say they're in pain. I was in no pain. Nothing was different. If it, if it had not been for me spotting, knowing that I was pregnant, I wouldn't have known. So went back to the doctor. She did the same um, procedure, except this time she said, you know what? We caught it soon enough. We can save your tube. We'll go ahead and save it. You know, they, they got the, the baby out. Um, saved the tube, but I had to go back to the fertility doctor again so that now he can clean up the scar tissue that was caused from um, the other times. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, now this is baby number two. This is baby number so two. Now, how are you doing? Um, so now it's, I think each time it made me stronger to say, I'm not going to give up. Um, but each time it also took a little piece of me, mm -hmm. um, which is how we ended up going to adoption. But um, so the third time we do it and we still didn't do in vitro. He cleaned up the scar tissue around the tube and I got pregnant again on my own. Um, and I'm like, well, this is great. This time it's going to work. I'm not going to stress. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe I'm stressing. Maybe I'm too depressed. You know, you blame yourself for a lot of different things, especially through the infertility process. And I was trying to just be calm and be excited and not be stressed and not tell anybody. And again, within a week, I was bleeding. Um, and this time, the tube had not only um, burst, but there was a little internal bleeding. And I remember coming out of surgery and the doctor said, I don't know how you weren't in any pain and how you survived this. Basically, my tube had burst, and the the lining of my stomach had sealed it back off. She said because I could have died in my sleep. So you know, it it, it was a blessing because again, I, I didn't have any pain. I didn't know um, if it weren't again for that spotting, I, there was no way I would know. I I wouldn't be here today. So um, another emotional roller coaster. But then I'm thinking, my life I, is saved. Yeah, I could be dead. You know, so I, I was going with the struggle with God, like, you know, how can you keep taking my babies from me? But I'm still alive. Um, so it was a constant struggle for me because I couldn't understand why he would do that, but why he would save me. So then my husband said, well, you know, they keep talking about in vitro. Let's do in vitro. 
And I said, you know, fine. I don't want to do it because it's a lot of drugs, a lot of shots, which at the time I did not like shots. Now they're no big deal um, or needles. But I said, fine. We did in vitro four times because after you lose both your tubes, in vitro is your only route. Um, and an interesting fact, when I had the one tube, I thought I couldn't get pregnant. But I learned that one tube actually moves and it can compensate for the other tube not being there. Like your body automatically knows you have one tube and it'll compensate and move around. Which was interesting because I, I felt like, you know, that was something I didn't know. Um, but so now we lost. It will rotate ovulation. Yeah. Right. So yeah. every other month you can get pregnant? Yes. Okay. Yes. But there's so, still hope at that point. Exactly. Well, exactly. what I didn't know is what you're talking about is that there is even an option if you have no tubes. Yeah. So yeah. you taught me that. And so that part of your story is so interesting to me. We're in 2007 now? Yes, we're in okay. 2007. And, and uh, we decided to start the in vitro. And um, in vitro is a very expensive process. But thank God I had um, insurance who covered everything. Um, and in Illinois, you have up to four tries. Wow. Um, so I was like, okay, I have the insurance. I, you know, I, I don't have anything to lose at this point, you know. Um, so we did the in vitro. It's daily shots. Um, and it could go from one shot to up to three or four shots. I can't really remember. And, um, but it becomes very painful. I mean, it's a lot of emotions, it's, you know, because you're taking all these hormones. So it's like, PMS on steroids is what I call it. I can't even imagine. I mean, I can't. My husband is listening to this. He's like, no. no it, it is horrible. And you Are know, you crying? Are you yelling? Oh, I yeah. Mean, everything. I'm everything. I'm everything. And, you know, there would be days when my husband would just be like, okay, all right. And then there are other days when he'd be like, okay, enough. <laughs> enough. Because, yeah, you go from yelling to crying and I would go off on him. Then I would cry and say, I'm sorry. And then when he would try to, you know, say, you're OK, then I'd be like, get out of my face. Stop <laughs> touching me. You know, so it's it's an emotional roller coaster and you have to live your daily life while you're doing this. So are they pumping your body full of all these hormones because they're trying to get a bunch of eggs? I mean, in vitro is making embryos, right? Mm -hmm. So the first step is they t you you take this medication, these shots, and they're trying to grow your eggs really quickly um, before they're released. So you take medicine, you go in, you take these shots, um, you go in, you take your uh, blood test, and then you do an ultrasound. And thank God for my grandmother, my ultrasounds were great. I would have like 12 eggs or 12, you know, eggs waiting to be fertilized. And of those 12, nine or 10 of them would be huge. So I would be in pain. I, I would feel like I was like a walking, like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but they're so big because they're getting bigger, faster than they normally would. You could actually fill your stomach, like almost swollen. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so they do that. Then they, the male does his part and then they would take the semen and, it, you know. Right. They make a. Yeah, they make the embryo. embryo. How many embryos do they think they can make in one round? So what they do is they take the best. So if I had eight to 10 eggs, they would 
they have to be a certain size. So based on the size, they would say, okay, we can take all of them or we could just take the biggest. Um, so what my doctor would do is he would just take the biggest. Um, he at times would say, I can take any, you know, as many as I want, but he would say, I would take the biggest because those are the ones who that look the best. Um, he would fertilize those and he would say, how many do you want to put in? Now at first he would say, I only suggest three or two or four. Um, but there was one time when I think I had like six I could have put in because all six had taken, all six were great. He was like, you know, it's up to you. Um, we never chose that route <laughs> because twins run in both of our family. And okay. so when you put the eggs in, you, based on your um, your um, family, you can have twins automatically. Is this why you're saying... Thank you for my grandma. Yeah. Okay. My, well, my grandmother um, had a lot of kids. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and she even had kid, a child while she was going through the change of life. So I think that my makeup, eggs, yeah, yeah, I just, I can do that. And some people can't, which is why I think a lot of people do the embryo adoption. Um, but, um, so you had no problem creating the embryos. No problem creating the eggs so, and then the embryos, none of that. They were putting them in, and you don't need fallopian tubes for that. That's no. the part that I didn't know. No. Okay, so they're actually depositing them right into your uterus. Yes. So they are, it's almost like a turkey baster kind of looking thing, which is the same thing they do for insemination. And now when they take the eggs out, you're asleep because they're taking the eggs out through a needle, and they're sticking the needle and, okay. You know, but when they put them back in, you're awake and it's like a room of like six people and then they're just putting them back in. And somebody's like over in the corner watching on the screen to say, um, yep, they're in. I see them. They're fine. Um, and then the doctor is kind of, you know, right. Flushing them in. So many people go through this process. Oh, yeah. And it just seems so painful and overwhelming to me. I mean, it how is. is your body responding to, first of all, all these shots? Mm -hmm. Now things are going out of your body, then back into your body. Mm -hmm. Are you sore? Are you tired? You're you're tired. You're sore. You're... I was trying to diet at the time. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> Perfect time to try and yeah. diet. That that didn't work. Um, you always want to eat. Like I said, it's like PMS on steroids. I was constantly craving you know, things. I um, couldn't sleep, but there are times when I was just tired all the time. It's like my body didn't know what was going on. Okay. So when people come to you and say, I'm going to do IVF, are you like, oh, you know, no, I'm, I'm totally for it, you know? Um, because to me, if that is, I think the, the biggest thing is that some people, which is how I was really want to have the feeling of a baby growing inside them. And so if IVF is your only option, then I would say go for it. Um, it's kind of anything else. You know, if you can get pregnant the normal way, you know, you hear moms talk about, you know, the morning sickness or hair loss or, you know, this and that. But in the end results, you, you know what I mean? Yes. So it's like, that's what keeps you going yeah, through all of this. Definitely. So they keep putting in these embryos mm -hmm. and 
None of them are taking. None of them taking. They have no idea why. Um, my husband and I decided, you know, like they always say, science can go so far, but God. And so for whatever reason, um, what they do is they tell you not to take at home pregnancy test. Um, that you have to come back in and let them actually do a test. And I think it's a week later or so. Um, and they do a blood test. And each time, you know, they go take the test. And we're on pins and needles waiting for the test results to come back. So you take the test that morning and waiting for the afternoon. And they would say, no, I'm so sorry, you know. But, you know, if you want, we can try again next month. So every time are you leaving just bawling? Um, I think the first couple times I was still kind of numb from losing them myself, knowing that I can get pregnant on my own, but then losing them, I was numb. Um, but then, you know, you go in and you hear the doctor's speech and he's like, oh, you can do this and all these people. And I had such a great support system. I found out that people I worked with use the same doctor. So they're like, oh, do um, do this or, you know, go to the spa. Or, so they're telling me all the things that, that worked for them and they got pregnant. So, of course, in the next time I'm like, I'm at a spa, I'm doing... Um, acupuncture. I'm doing all these different things like this time is going to work because it worked for this person doing that and it didn't work. It didn't work. So I think the first few times I was numb but then it started getting worse. Um, I started feeling like a um, science project. Right. Um, Because the doctors can do all this stuff. They're changing your treatment so um, they're tweaking this and they're tweaking that but that's still not working. I'm doing all these things that everybody tells me to do, but that's still not working. So finally, I just said, you know what? I told my husband, actually, after the third one, I said, I don't want to do it anymore. I, I feel like a science project. I feel like I'm broken. Um, that women were made to do this one thing, and I can't do it. So why keep spending the money? Why keep going through these emotional roller coasters? Why keep doing all this stuff, and it's not working? So my sister um, had adopted. So I said, you know what? I want a baby. And this is the way God wants me to have it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about adopting your baby and how you came to that process. I'm so, so honored that you're here and you're sharing so openly. I know it's not easy, but so many of our listeners need to hear this. And a lot of the women that have gone through it are just going to listen to the story and feel that you understand them and that you're putting how they felt into words. We'll be right back. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670KLTT.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband, and I want to thank you for listening to this story on today's program. Do you have an adoption story? April and I have been through our own adoption journey, and I'd like to encourage you to contact us about sharing your story. You can do that by going to our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking on the Tell Your Story tab. Let's join together and inspire others. And now, let's rejoin April and the rest of today's story. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to Joy. She's been very open and honest about her journey through infertility. She's tried uh, IVF now. We're kind of into the story. Mm -hmm. You started in 2006. Mm -hmm. And when was your last IVF treatment? My last IVF treatment, I would say, was November of 2008. Um, By that time, we already started the adoption process. Um, I still didn't feel like 
I was working. I felt like I was broken, but my husband said, you know, this is going to be different. You have a new job. We've started the adoption process. You always hear the stories that somebody adopted and they had a baby. He's like, this is going to be us. This is what's going to happen. Let's prepare for that. And so I said, okay, I did it, but my heart wasn't in it. Um, and again, it didn't take. Um, that time, I think, at that point, I was so numb towards the process, and I was just focused on the adoption process that it didn't really bother me, per se, um, because I was just like, okay, I'm doing this for you, but see, I told you it didn't work. Were you excited about the adoption process, though? Oh, yeah. I was very excited about the adoption process. I was all over it, you know. We had meetings to go to. We had online classes. I was doing everything, you know. Joy, you are so strong. I mean, your body has physically endured, you know, two or three years of this process of needles and surgeries and failures and emotional stress. And now you're going right into adoption, which is also mm-hmm. paperwork and money and emotional stress as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, to go right into that, did you feel tired? I didn't. I was just, you know, I just wanted my family. Um, I think I had grown, I grew up in a big family um, and I had a lot of cousins. There were always a lot of people around. I just wanted my family. Um, and my husband has children from a previous marriage. And so I'd always see him with them. And I'm like, I just want my own. So at that point, it becomes by any means necessary, whatever you have to do. The love for a baby, the desire for a baby, that mother's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't go away and it keeps you going. So many people said to us, why do you keep saying yes to everything? Or why, you know, in your journey and they hear these podcasts and they say, why do, why do these families do it? It's because you love Mm -hmm. this child Mm -hmm. and you want a family. Mm -hmm. And so you keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you hear all these stories or you see these people with these babies and you're like, Oh, I could do that. I, you know, I want that. I, you know, and you know, what would tear me up more was you would see negative things on the news about babies. And I'm like, why, why couldn't we have that baby? Why couldn't that baby come to us? So I think because of that, I, I just had to keep going. I couldn't just say, well, let's take a break. I think that's why my miscarriages, my IVF, my adoption, everything was just right behind each other. Even though I was mourning, even though I was having my struggles with my relationship with God, um, a lot of things I was going through, but I could not stop until I got, you know, and, and it's so funny because the more problems I had with my relationship with God, the more I kept feeling like he was reassuring me that something was coming. And a lot of times when that happens, you think that it's the way you want it to come and it's not. So I didn't know what that was. I just knew I wanted a baby. So I felt like I had to exhaust every option that I had because something was coming. Um, and I remember somebody said when we were in the adoption, when we were in the class, and she's like, you know, when you're in the adoption process, you're pregnant, you know, and that's how I felt. And, and that yearning didn't go away. It just kept getting stronger. So we started the adoption process and I'm like, what do we have to do now? Let's do it. I'm on it. I'm all over it. Um, how much do we have to pay? I mean, just everything was on it. My husband would come in and be like, what are we doing? I'm like, oh, I already took care of it. We're doing this, and that's what's happening, and this, this, and that. Was he excited about the adoption process? He was. He was, I think, at that point, from seeing um, me with such an emotional roller coaster and stress, and um, you know, people around you are getting pregnant all the time, and you're coming home, and I would just go to bed at like four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, with seeing all of that, I think he was just like, it's time. Whatever we need to do, we need to do it. Because honestly, I, I feel like sometimes he thought he was going to lose his wife. 
Um, I didn't feel like that, but I can't tell you what would have happened. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so we started the process and we started with one agency, which is an agency in Chicago that my sister started with. And we had a, a social worker who, um, you know, when you have other kids and you're adopting, the social worker has to meet with them and has to talk to them. And these children didn't live in the home with us. So we had to go get them and, you know, organize meetings and she would just not show up or she would be like an hour late. And I'm like, we left work early. We, you know, might've pulled them out of school early, you know, all these things. And so your other children, you mean my husband's children he, from his how, previous marriage. How many children does he have? He has four. And they have to interview all those children? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. Okay, so this is a huge process. Oh, yes. One thing that I was going to ask you is you said your sister had gone through it. Mm -hmm. So, and this is kind of a crazy question, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to me as an African-American family mm -hmm. just about to start the adoption process, and it's already in your family. Your mm -hmm. sister had adopted a son? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, yes. so she was very supportive. Was the rest of your family supportive? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, they were very supportive. Um, my sister and they went through the process. No problems. You know, it was no big deal. Um, so which is why I felt like if I'm going through this process, I already know my family is going to support it. I already know my sister is my number one cheerleader. I can do this. Um, and so going with the same agency, they weren't doing their job. Yeah, it was 13 years later. So a lot of things had changed. Um, since the last time she had gone there and we just had a lot of issues. Um, so in the middle of having a lot of issues, someone at my job said, hey, this is who we went with. We didn't have any issues. It was great. And this place was actually like 10 minutes from my house. So I said, okay, let's try this place instead. Um, and it's so funny because like we were talking about, you really have to know what the laws are for your state because the first adoption agency had us going through all these extra classes and doing these extra tests that had nothing to do with the law of Illinois in Illinois. Um, whereas the one we ended up going to um, Catholic charities, they pretty much said, this is the law. This is what we're doing. You're done. So by the time we got to them, we actually went to them in February. We had our license in March. Wow. Yeah. And we, we hadn't even done half the process with the other adoption agency. Well, that's the thing that you and I talk about as well mm -hmm. is make sure that, number one, you know the law of the land. Mm -hmm. You know what your state requires. And number two, make sure that you have a connection and you like your social workers. Because yes. you're going to be yes. in it with them. They're going to see you in a in very emotional times. Yes. And if you don't like them just sitting down and you don't connect, yes, it could get really bad. It's so make important. sure you have a connection. Mm -hmm. So what year are we in now? Um, so now we are in the beginning of 2010. Okay. So you guys so are ready. We're ready. Uh, IVF is behind yep. you. We've done everything. And we're you're, done. You're going to wait on a list? Yes. Okay. Um, and so we go to the meeting and she's like, you know, our list is not very long. You know, you know, they give you their spill. Don't expect this. You know, it could be this time. It could be this amount of time. You know, and so you're sitting there and you're like, I don't care. Whatever it is, I'm on the list. As an African-American family, mm -hmm. did you specify what type of ethnicity you wanted in your child? So not at first. So when the meeting was over, she came to us and said, you are the first African-American family we've had in a long time. We actually have a baby boy who the, the um, young lady was there from summer or Christmas break. And she wanted an African-American family, but they didn't have any. And she was willing to take another family, but since we walked in and we, she knew we were close to getting our license, um, but we weren't close enough. We hadn't had some of the other things that we needed. Um, and so she said, is that what you want? Do you want an African-American child? And so 
my husband, it's so funny because when it came to all of this stuff, my husband's like, you know, I think because of what I had gone through, he's like, it's up to you. You pick the sex, you pick the right, you, you, you do everything, you know, this one's for you. Um, and so, um, I told her, I said, you know, I wanted a black child or a biracial child. And my thing was, is that I felt like there's so many things you have to teach a child of another race that I don't know myself, um, that after all I've been through, I kind of want to be selfish and say, I wanted somebody like me so that I can not mold per se, but there is something I can give to them without having to say, I, I need to learn about this first before I can teach you about it. Do you know what I mean? Teach them what you already know. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting as well because um, when we were waiting on the list and you know we were waiting for another African-American child, they said to us, oh, it's just too bad that you guys aren't African-American because these moms want... Right. And I used to be like, well, I do get hair extensions. I mean, does that, does that count? count no. I mean, I, I dance a, a little bit. To the... I've seen you dance. <laughs> right. That is not that great, right? You're okay. <laughs> but you know so, what? I mean, I was, that is a need. Mm-hmm. You know, it really so is. It would, you would think this is a perfect match and it would happen really fast. And it ended up working well, like that. Ours did, actually. Yeah. And it was for that reason. She wanted an African-American family and she wanted a, actually, she was more impressed with my husband because she grew up without a father. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to make sure that her daughter had a father in her life. And um, which was, it, it's a great example. I mean, I grew up without a father. So um, I could understand, totally understand why she felt that way. And I think the fact that he has other kids, but he's in their lives um, and active in their lives, it helped. Do you know what I mean? So at what point is she looking at your family, this birth mother? So the birth mother, um, we didn't find out about her until probably April. And she decided after she had the baby, she wanted to parent. Um, She was very young, but all of her friends were having babies. And they were all saying, oh, you can do this. We got this. Was she looking at the book First, because she was going to choose adoption or later? Later. Okay. So you kind of fast forward the story. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. So <laughs> she, um, you're on the list. Mm-hmm. This girl, and how old was she? 14. Yeah. This 14-year-old girl mm-hmm. is pregnant, but she's not choosing adoption, and she decides she's going to keep the baby. Right. So you didn't know about her? No, I did not. Her mother is the one who kept pushing for adoption. Her mother was a single mom had raised, I think she had several siblings on her own. And she said, I'm not going to help you raise this child. She had an older sister who had um, children, but her older sister had her first child older. Um, So her mom didn't have to help. And her mom was really pushing adoption. And, you know, a typical 14-year-old, your friends are saying, I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you. And so she said, I can do this myself. Um, So she had the baby. She parented for about two and a half months. And when she saw that nobody was really going to help her is when I think she finally listened to her mom. And um, her mom brought her to Catholic Charities and they started looking through the books. And this is when she said, and this is when she I found us. Yeah. Yeah. We were the only African-American family on the list. Um, again, in our story, you know, you have to make the book and the story and the pictures. Um, we had pictures of um, my stepchildren. We had, you know, we talked about things we did with them. And I think that's what, not not even me, um, which I, I know a lot of birth moms look toward the mom and they want to have a relationship with them. It was more so my husband. She just wanted that male figure in the house um, or in her life. Um, so she picked us. Um, 
but she was still kind of on the fence about adoption. So um, she relinquished the baby to the foster mom. The foster mom had her for about a week. She decided again to parent. She went back. No way. Yeah. How long? Um, I think each time the foster mom had her for about a week, and then she would go back for like a week and a half. When you say each time, how many times did she do this? It was only twice. Well, only, but it was twice. Okay. So do you know about her now? Do you know about the baby now? Has no. They, have, they well, have not reached out to you. So at this point in time, she had reached out to us and told us um, about the situation that at first she wants a parent, so the baby had been with her. And then now she's unsure, so the baby was, you know, in foster care. And at this point in time, I'm like, well, thanks for your call. I'll, you know, talk to you later. And you weren't interested yeah. in a mom that was going to keep changing. Yeah, her I life. just, I wanted to be sure. And I felt like, again, I, I felt like something was coming. And so I hear so many stories about and their moms changing their minds and this, this, and that. And I, I just really felt like God hadn't brought me that far to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, well, you know, keep us updated, but I'm, I'm pretty much done. And so I, I remember I was at work and my husband called me and said, you really have to be open because you never know what's going to happen. And I said, that's fine. I can be open. But I was so still hurt and struggling with my own um, issues with fertility. I could not open myself to a situation that was going to fall apart. Right. Um, so I talked to um, one of my really dear friends who is actually my daughter's uh, godmother. And she said, you know, this is the situation for you. I, I just know it. It's a situation for you. It's going to work. And even though everybody else was sure, I wasn't sure. So it didn't matter what everybody else said. Um, so that was probably April. Um, by Mother's Day, the baby had been with fo- in foster care, but now it's back with her. And it's Mother's Day. And she, the social worker calls and says, she's decided to parent, but I think I can really get through to her because her mother is really talking to her. So th- this was probably like the Friday before Mother's Day. Well, actually, on Mother's Day, that Sunday, she calls me back and says she decided to give the child up. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. And I remember that whole weekend I kept getting ca- calls and I was trying to spend Mother's Day with my mother and be secretive. And the only person who knew was my sister. So my sister kept looking at me like, stop going out of the room, answering the phone. But, you know. Wait, was your mom on to you? Oh, no. My mother had she wasn't? no clue oh. whatsoever. No clue. My mother did not know until the day she came. So my mother You wanted no to protect clue. her. And yes. sometimes that's good for yes. extended family. Yes. When was the child born? February. February. Okay. So she was born the end of February and and this is now May. Okay. Um, So that Mother's Day, that uh, Sunday of the Mother's Day, she said, you know, she definitely wants to get the child up, but she wants to spend a little more time with her. So to me, that doesn't sound like she wants to give her up. So again, I'm like, whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm excited every time a call comes in. But then when I get off the phone, I'm like, Okay. Whatever. You didn't even start looking at baby clothes a no, little bit? we didn't. Nothing. Nothing. Actually, we had moved into a, a bigger home. We had a baby's room. My husband really wanted to order um, furniture, so we ordered that, but we kept the door closed. I could not look in there. I couldn't see anything. It, we didn't have anything in it except the furniture, and it wasn't even put together, but I couldn't look in there. So the door, door was closed. Um, we had family come to stay, and they'd be like, oh, you have this extra room. I'm like, nobody is allowed in there. That's the room. Nobody can go in there. The door has to stay closed. Were you even thinking of names? No. Nothing. We picked out the name actually on the way to get her. I, I just, I didn't want to do anything until I knew. And literally um, the weekend before Memorial Day, we got a phone call on Saturday night and said, 
Um, she lived south of where we were. And she said, I am on my way to your area. And she actually revealed to us that the foster mom was five minutes away from us all this time. She was like, I'm dropping her off at the foster mom. I have the paper signed. Everything is done. Call the foster mom. Here's her number. If you want to go see her, you can. And then let me know what you want to do. And I'm like, what do you mean what do I want to do? It's my baby. I'm, go- I'm on my way. I have a name. I opened the room. Yeah. So now everything is, you know, I'm like, let's get it done. Calling everybody. Oh, yeah. Are you, <clears throat> I mean, what did that feel like? It was such a relief, but I was also in a frenzy. It's Sunday night. Nothing's open. Right. How am I going to get stuff? You know, my mother's out of town with my cousin and my aunt. I, and they're driving back from Alabama. I call my cousin who's driving and I say, this is what's going on, but don't tell her because I want to tell her. Right. And my mom comes in the door and I have to stop her in the mudroom because there's stuff everywhere. We spent the day shopping and I can't let her come in like, why do you have all this stuff? Did you get the baby that day? No. Okay. We actually, so we called her. Um, that was, so that was Saturday night. We called her Saturday night and I said, when can I come see her? She said, well, she's very dirty. She had been given a bag of clothes that were very dirty. She was like, it's just not a good time. But how about this? In the morning, give me a call, whatever time you want to come, and you can come see her. I'll make sure she's clean and has some clean clothes, and you can come see her. And I was like, oh, well, I don't want to make it too early for you. It's a Sunday. So, I'll, you know, how about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock? She's like, oh, whatever time is best for you. Of course, I couldn't sleep. Right. Neither could my mother, neither could my husband. So at six o'clock, I'm like, do you think I should call her now? Can I call her and say, can we come? And actually I called, I think I waited like seven. She's like, I knew you would call. So she's ready. And we went over and I was just like, you know, you have that immediate feeling. This is my baby. I don't think there's anything anybody could have said or done to tell me that this wasn't my child. Because at that point, she was. You know what I mean? So when the social worker came and said, you know, let me know what you want to do. I'm thinking to myself you have to sign papers, you know? And I remember people saying, you didn't want to see her first. I'm like, I could care less. I, it didn't matter to me. Right. You just wanted to know that the mom wasn't going to take her back. Yeah. That was my only concern. Um, And so we got there and, you know, she was so tiny and, you know, it's so funny how they look at you, but they're so used to looking at somebody else. So they look at you not knowing, you know, who you are or what's going on, but I knew. So it didn't really matter. And like I said, on the way to pick her up, we picked out a name. We were in the store shopping all day with stuff. What did you name her? Kennedy. Kennedy Joy Johnson. And, you know, at first I didn't know. I'm a big fan of last names. So we played around with Kennedy and it had to be, you know, different. Um, But I couldn't think of a middle name that I wanted. And so her birthday is right after mine. So my husband said, I really think she should have your last name or your middle name. And I'm like, no, that sounds like a Cabbage Patch. Remember Cabbage Patch? Oh, yes. <laughs> but you adopted like, Cabbage Patches, too. Well, so yeah, kind true. Of exactly. So he's like, I think it, it works great. So, of course, then I had to ask my sister, who's always my, you know, number one go-to person or number, you know, two now after my husband. And she was like, I love it. So we literally sat there while we were waiting for my mom to get dressed because I was already dressed before we went to go pick her was up. Was your mom so excited? Oh, my goodness. My mom. Well, imagine she hadn't slept because she drove from Alabama and you just told her that night and then she didn't sleep that night so literally on the picture she has bags under her eyes <laughs> she's gonna kill me but she does but she could not sleep and what was your husband like when he saw the baby you know what 
the look on his face was, I think he was just happy that the process worked for us. We've heard so many stories and we had had so many letdowns before um, with our fertility issues that I think there was number one relief. Um, but I think my husband always says, if you're happy, I'm happy. So I think that the fact that I was just giddy, I mean, I didn't eat for weeks because I was just like, I just wanted to hold her. Yes. Um, and I think he was just okay. He's like, whatever you want to do. Hey, can we do that? Whatever you want to do. Can we buy this? Whatever you want to do. So, you know, um, it, it's a blessing to have that person who can go through all that with you and then rejoice with yeah, you. Yeah. Because he was just. You know, he didn't. He doesn't show emotion the same way I do, but you can tell. He was just I excited and done. <laughs> love this story. And everyone hearing this loves the story because it has a happy ending yes. and she's bonded to you. And she looks and acts just like you. She, she is definitely your daughter. Yes. And I just think that this story is very encouraging. And so if people right now are going through a hard time with infertility or even waiting on the adoption list, just keep believing, just keep waiting because God does have a baby for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being on. Sure. Thank you for asking me. I'm going to put a picture of Joy and her family on Facebook. Don't forget to like Adoption Now. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.